In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Today is the fourth, 14th Sunday after Trinity, and we are in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. We are still in that Pharisee's home where you'll remember at the start of chapter 14, Jesus goes in and eats with the Pharisees and he heals a man of dropsy and they ask him, why would you heal on the Sabbath? Why would you do work on the Sabbath? And then Jesus answers them in a series of parables. And this series of parables stack one on top of the other and they're showing a rounded understanding of how it is that we're supposed to be in relationship to God and to our neighbor. So not just one of these parables suits us or or helps us to understand that relationship, but we need each one stacked one on top of the other. He has two sets of three. The first set of three is the banqueting parables, where we learn about how it is that we're supposed to be uh, humble, before God when we enter into the kingdom, how it is that we're supposed to be uh, in mourning or sorrowing over the sins of others so that we can be good hosts and in inviting those who are in need into our own banqueting. We have this understanding of being uh, poor in spirit or lowly in our aspect so that we know that uh, it is a great wonder and a good thing that the Lord welcomes us in so that when we do receive that invitation, we go in wholeheartedly not thinking that we are enough or that we have enough. And then he tells the second set of three, which are the parables of the lost. You'll remember the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And these continue to stack one upon another. We understand that uh, the Lord is desiring of righteousness, that he's seeking us and that we are supposed to be seeking him and righteousness. We understand the mercy that is shown by the Father and that we too are supposed to be merciful and welcoming those back again as he welcomes in the prodigal. So each of these stacks one on top of the other. The aspect now that we are looking at is in this remarkable parable of the rich man and the manager. And just like the one about uh, where Jesus says to, to hate your parents in a way that's supposed to shock us and to wake us up to realize that we're supposed to put God first before anybody else in our lives, here again he's shocking us with this parable of the manager who steals from his employer. We're supposed to look at that and say, wait a minute, (laughs) you're not supposed to steal from your employer. That's wrong. Stealing is wrong. And so how is it that this manager is going to be commended for stealing? You'll notice that when the manager realizes he's going to lose his job, he does some self-evaluation. He takes a look at himself. And what's remarkable is that he's honest with himself. When we read this self-evaluation, we should be shocked by that as well, because it's an honest evaluation. He looks at himself and he says, I'm too lazy to work. That's a great evaluation, isn't it? To do real work, right? Physical labor. I'm too lazy to dig. That's a really remarkable thing that he's willing to say, I can't do that kind of work. And so he's honest with himself about that. He also says that he's too proud that he's too proud to beg. So here, what the the manager has done is he's done an evaluation of himself and he said, I'm lazy and I'm proud. So I'm going to need other people's help. 
This is an impressive evaluation, isn't it? He says, I'm going to need other people. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we look at ourselves, we'll realize that we too can be too lazy and too proud to do the things that we need to do, to do what we need to do what's right. So often what stops us from doing the right thing is we're too proud, we don't want to embarrass ourselves, we don't want to stand out, we want to be polite and polite society, we don't want to say anything that would trouble somebody else or that would make them uncomfortable right and so if we're not willing to do that we're not willing to do the work of the kingdom because we're so caught up in polite society uh, then we're suffering from pride if we're not doing uh, the real work of god and that is to be really working to serve the poor and those who are in need to be looking at the people around us and to see uh, what is it that they need what's the extra effort that i need to put in then we realize that we're too lazy We see the needs around us, we see the people that need our help, and we don't offer it because uh, we're tired. I'm too tired. And so what he realizes is that he's going to need to make friends to help him. He's going to have to make friends to help him. And so he's going to make friends by any means necessary. He's going to make friends by any means necessary. And and in his calculation, it's people that are going to invite him in once it is that he's lost his job. So then, of course, Jesus takes a look at this parable with us and and shows us how uh, it is that that we are expecting to be invited into the kingdom of God. And who is going to recommend us? What is going to recommend us? So we can see that the the parable that's being done here, the metaphor that's being proposed is that uh, God has given us everything that we have. We're the managers of his stuff, right? Everything that we have belongs to God. Every penny, every piece of property, every toy, everything that we have, God provided, right? We came into the world naked and alone and practically blind, right? We came into the world with nothing. We're going to leave in the same way, with nothing. So everything that we have now has been given to us by God. And the Lord is going to say, you haven't used what you've got in the right way. And that's going to be true for all of us, right? None of us are going to be able to say, I was a perfect steward with everything that was given to me. I used every penny in the right way. Everything that I had, I used right. None of us can say that, right? So the Lord's going to say, I'm going to take away what was given to you. That's going to happen to all of us. Then the question is, at the judgment, what are we going to say? What is there to commend us? And it's fascinating what Jesus says. He says, make friends so that when it fails, when your, your wealth fails and you fail they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Isn't that strange? Wouldn't you expect in that passage to see where Jesus would say, so that I will accept you into eternal dwellings? Isn't he the judge? But he says it it again earlier in telling the parable, right? So people may receive me into their houses. And he doesn't correct that. He again says, so that they may receive you into eternal dwellings. It seems that when we go to the throne of God and when we are standing in judgment, he's going to call witnesses. Oh no! 
all the people that know us, all the people that work with us and go to school with us and live next door to us and that we grew up with, are going to be witnesses to us. How did you do with what was given to you? If this person was in need, did you meet that need? The Lord is saying when you go to that judgment, you want people to stand up and say, Come on in. Come on in. He helped me out. She helped me out. They supported me. They helped me. Right? That we're going to have witnesses that are going to welcome us into the easy, these eternal dwellings. And so you'll remember that this all starts with the Sabbath rest and with a new understanding of what it is that we're supposed to be doing in that Sabbath rest because the old understanding, the wrong understanding was just get a good night's sleep, hang out, refresh yourself, and then go back to what you were doing the day before. What Jesus is saying is that we're supposed to be using that Sabbath rest to rest in the Lord, to recalibrate and to take stock of our lives to be doing what this manager does to say, wait a minute, let's see, I'm proud, I'm lazy, I'm going to need help. So that when the new day dawns, we're saying, I am in need and I need people to, to, to say good things about me. I need to have the, the report from my neighbors to be a good report of my righteousness and to have some urgency about that. You can see the planning that this manager has and the sense of urgency that he has. He goes quickly to his boss's accounts. He's urgent when he realizes that his end is near and that there is a short amount of time and that he's going to have to do everything that he can to make sure that at that judgment, at that time, that he's ready. And so this is where Jesus talks about the purity of heart. To will one thing, to be focused and determined upon the will of God, to be hungering and thirsting upon the will of God. We're supposed to have that that clear line, that clear sight, and to know that this is my goal and this is where I'm moving to so that in the Sabbath rest, we're not just hanging out, but we're gathering ourselves and we're, we're preparing ourselves and we're clearing our hearts and our minds for the focus upon that task that has been set before us. And we're saying, what do I have to get me there? Right? What are the things that I need to bring along? What are the, what are the things that I have to help me? Right? When we go about to, to build a, a set of shelves or put a car together or to, to decorate our houses, we look around and we say, what do I have? Right? I've got people coming for dinner. What do I have to cook? I've got to look through my shelves. I've got to see how to set my table. I've got to get prepared. I've got to organize myself. They're coming at a certain time. This is the kind of urgency that we're supposed to have about our judgment and to be getting all those things together and organizing and focusing our Ourselves. And of course, this isn't new teaching. Amos was saying the same thing, what, like 800 years before Jesus came? This is nothing new. Amos is saying the same exact thing. Here in, in Amos chapter, uh, chapter 8, he says, uh, you're spending all of your time at your feasts, right, resting and saying, at the Sabbath, hey, when the Sabbath is over, we're going to sell some wheat for money. We're going to make the measurements small, right? We're going to deal deceitfully. We're going to get all that we can. So if I'm spending my Sabbath rest and thinking, how am I going to get more for myself tomorrow 
the focus of my Sabbath is confused. The focus on my Sabbath shouldn't be on how can I get a bunch of stuff for myself, but how can I use what I have in the service of God and my neighbor? What has the Lord given to me that I might serve? And he says this kind of a distortion in our minds, this kind of confusion and thinking that the Sabbath was given to us just to hang out and keep doing what we will doing will eventually end up with there being a, uh, a lack of the scriptures, that there will be a famine of Holy Scripture. Now, a famine comes of Holy Scripture when the people are deported to Babylon. And you'll remember that after that 70 years in Babylon, they come back and they rebuild the temple. And, uh, and Nehemiah and, uh, and Ezra set up the big platform in front of the work of the temple. And they start to read the scriptures, right? And you remember how the people start to weep because they realized that they hadn't heard the scriptures before and they're convicted in their hearts because it had been so long since they'd heard the scriptures read publicly, right? They were deported to Babylon. Uh, we, we don't need the Babylonians. We'll busy ourselves with other things. We don't need foreign armies to take away the scriptures from us. We've got brothers and sisters all around the world that would be killed in their homes for having a Bible and we let ours get dusty on our shelves, Right? We're not reading them to ourselves or to our children or to our families or learning them. We're having a famine that's self-imposed. We should be hungering to know the scriptures and to know the word of God. And we should be reading them to ourselves in the morning and in the evenings and reading them to our families. With a kind of urgency that this manager has knowing he's going to lose his job. We're going to lose our jobs too. And you can see the self-imposed famine in our own little book of scriptures. Even the Anglican Church in North America, who sacrificed so much for the scriptures and for its teaching, gives us the option when we read the second lesson in 1 Timothy chapter 2 to cut out all that stuff about women being quiet in the church. Right? That was kind of uncomfortable to listen to, huh? Maybe even uncomfortable to read. Ooh. Right? Because the culture tells us there's not supposed to be a difference between men and women. It's all the same. Everybody's the same. Right? No. That's not what the scriptures teach. And the Lord has given the, the job of being bishops and priests to men and to be head of the household to men. And it's uh, the man's job to, to stand firm and to hold fast and to say, this is the, the organization of our house. We're going to devote ourselves to the scriptures. We're going to devote ourselves to doing what's right. We're going to avoid doing what's wrong. And when men advocate that job, it's left to their wives to do it. And so the distortion that comes in our household is because men are not standing up and saying, we need to organize our day, we need to organize our lives and the devotion of the Lord. How are we managing our house? And in the church, no different. Our men have to stand up and be godly bishops who are humble and devoted before the Lord to do that work. And then we, we, we are so quick to dismiss this business about childbearing. And you know, this isn't about the physical aspect of giving birth to a child. This is about being a mother of faith. This is about nurturing. And let me tell you, the, the way that the church is strong is when the church is strong in our homes. Because there is no way on Sunday morning that we can make up for reading the scriptures every day in the house. There's no way. 
Only the parents can do that. We can do as much Bible study as we want on Sunday. There is no substitute for reading the Bible every day to our children. And if it's children Bible stories, or if it's singing the songs of the church, or if it's telling the stories. I remember how many times I climbed up in my mom's lap on a weekday morning, and she was reading the Bible, and she would tell me the story of David and Goliath. It wasn't exactly the way it was in the scriptures, but she was telling me the story of David and Goliath. She was telling me the story of Samson, right? She was telling me the story about Peter and Paul, and then we would sing that song, so that later on as an adult, I recognized those stories and how they fit together. There's no substitute for that, and the church is built upon these women who were apostles to the apostles, who were mothers to the apostles, the myrrh-bearing women who are the first to proclaim the resurrection of the lord they're the first to go before the emperor to tell about the resurrected christ they're the ones that stand firm and that are that backbone of the church if you take away the female saints the women saints from the church there is no church because they're the ones that raise the saints in the home and that devote themselves to that reading of scripture that daily reading of scripture and making that a part of our daily understanding of praying with their children at bedtime of talking with their children about what the lord is doing in their lives about being that day in day out model of christian service and there is no substitute for that no substitute because the living of our lives is about that daily business, like that manager who daily is having to manage the accounts. Every day, we're like that manager having to look at everything the Lord has given us. I've got these many hours, I've got this much stuff, and I want to be devoted to the Lord and His will to use everything that I have for His service and for His kingdom. Yearning to do what's right in our hearts. May we be prudent and steadfast in our management of all those good gifts that the Lord has given us, searching for those good homes in the kingdom of heaven.